0: Welcome to the Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Dana Duncan. And tonight we bring you our first annual Oscars preview for 2021. So let's get right into it. The Oscars has always been special to me back since about, oh, I want to say about 2006 when I first saw The Departed and I realized what adult films could be.
1: Dad, do you remember some of your first experiences with the Oscars? Um, going back into high school where I, um, I tried to watch as many of the films that were nominated as I could, and then I kind of rated them and, uh, assessed which ones I thought were the best films each year as well.
0: Yeah, I know that it's been a particular project of mine. And I think since about 2013, I've seen every best picture nominee of that year, to pretty much judge for myself, and the last five years, I've seen it before the Oscars actually took place. So more or less when I'm watching the awards show, I've been trying to get to the point where I can, in real time, know whether they I think they're making a mistake or not, at least in my opinion. And that's all this is. is art is based on opinion and how it relates to you. So I know you and I think that the Oscars often gets things wrong. I think there are some objective views to some of that, but I also think there's a subjective aspect.
1: Definitely. And I think that's, uh, that comes out each year. And I think it, it also is interesting to do a, an episode at some point in time where we go back through Oscar winners and re-vote on Oscar performances or on Oscar winners in a given year. Well,
0: maybe if there's enough time and uh, we can uh, grow this into more of a VIP section show, that's something we could do in the uh, VIP feed if we get that far. So, without further ado, we're going to give you our picks and then what we. So, we're going to start the show with uh, who we think will win come Sunday, uh, as the Oscars or the uh, I think it's the eighty fifth Oscars is this weekend. And Or no, I think it 95th, 95th Oscars. Boy, we're getting close to the 100 this year or in the next couple of years. Uh, anyway, we will give you what we think will win this Sunday or this upcoming Sunday and then what we think should win because I, in many cases or frankly probably about 80% of the cases, what I think should win is often not what I think will win. So uh, I don't know if you have nominees for all of these, Dad. I know it's challenging to keep up with everything on these lists. And frankly, there. Are, I'm going to start off with several different categories where I didn't watch all of the nominees, but I'm going to make a prediction based on what won in the Guild Awards or what won in other festivals ahead of time that give us some inclination of what's going to win on Sunday night. So I don't know if you have any picks for these, but I'm just going to kind of run through these generally that that's fine
1: because quite frankly you know i'm i'm uh, still working 60 to 70 hours a week um i'm trying to get as much in i got almost all well, i got all the top pictures in and even a few of the uh peripheral ones but animated shorts and such like that i just haven't had time
0: well a lot of those aren't widely available but The advent of Netflix and streaming and a lot of these other places, especially in this now pandemic time that we're living in, has given us the opportunity to see a lot more of this stuff than we otherwise would have been able to even about five years ago. So I've been able to see a lot more than some of the other years, but I'll just start here at the bottom of my list and we'll work our way up. So Best Animated Short. I have If Anything Happens, I Love You from Netflix winning that one. For Best Makeup and Hairstyling, I currently have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom from Netflix. Best Costume Design, I have Ma Rainey as well. Best Original Song, this is one where I think we have a favorite in the clubhouse uh, in Speak Now from the One Night in Miami, uh, which is currently on Prime, but I definitely would love to see a performance by Will Ferrell of Hussevic from the Eurovision uh, song contest, I it just tickles me that a Will Ferrell original song for something so absurd like Eurovision Song Contest would end up being in the Oscars. <laughs> I, I'd love for it to just kind of interrupt things. Uh, best documentary short, a love song for Latasha seems to be the favorite. I will go with that one for my pick for best documentary. I know that that it was kind of deadpanned by a lot of the critics but there seems to be a lot of energy from the wider audience. And I think it's going to end up being the general pick uh, because critics often are not part of the Academy or part of the biggest part of uh, who makes up the Academy. So I'm going to go with my octopus teacher, another one that is on Netflix. And if you're noticing a theme already, it's that Netflix is going to have a really good night. I don't know if they're going to take the top prize, which is what they've been aiming for for a few years, but I think this does signal that streaming is pretty much taking over what we think the Oscars are going forward. Best Visual Effects is a movie that I was rather disappointed from from my favorite director uh, at this point, Tenet. Uh, That would be my pick. It probably is the most visually stunning aspect of the film Although I would say some of the editing that goes with it in order to be able to do some of the visual effects and stunts that they have is extraordinary in that film. For Best International Film, I think this is probably an easy pick given that its director is up for Best Director. But a film I just finished the other day, which I think is well worth the time, Another Round, which is the Thomas Vinterberg film for the entry from Denmark. That is currently available on Hulu. If you can deal with subtitles, I think it's worth your time. It's very good. I I finished it uh, today. Oh, good. Okay, I wasn't sure whether you'd been able to finish that one. So we can have a better conversation when we get to Best Director. Finally, for the ones that uh, I'm not giving a should, but just simply a pick, uh, Best Live Action Short, I have kind of the slight underdog. I don't think it's the leader. I think Letter Room probably is the favorite going into uh sunday night but i'm going to give two distant strangers and some of that is a uh appeal to what i th- would like to win but given that i only saw that particular film in this category because i think it's the only one available on a current streaming service i have uh, that's my pick um and that's more of uh, I I wish it uh, would end up winning because I think it's something symbolic of kind of the times we're living in, particularly even this week. Uh, Dad, did you end up watching that one? I I did not have an opportunity. Okay. It's only about 25 minutes, but if you have the time, go over to Netflix. All right. So these are the ones where I have at least a will win and a should win, but best production design. Uh, uh, The nominees are tenant mank, The Father, News of the World, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Now, I have seen all of these except News of the World, but do you have any impressions on the overall category?
1: Well, I have not seen Tenet or News of the World, um, so it's hard for me to say. I will say that uh, Ma Rainey's was a very well-done set design for limited uh, scope of scenery, because it was primarily in three rooms and an alley. Mank, I thought, really was, it, it seemed to convey the time period, and the set seemed to also blend in and convey what Mankiewicz was going through as an alcoholic, trying to deal with uh, the project that he was working on, so I thought that one very well offered something to this category, at least as far as the the design itself. I didn't
0: find Ma Rainey's set design, other than being period accurate, to be all that engaging on what the film was. I think that the spaces they were in, because Ma Rainey's is based on a play was kind of limited and it was the most because several of these movies uh, that are up for awards or best picture were based on plays this year. One night in Miami, the father Ma Rainey's all of those were based on stage plays at one point or another. There were some that did better with their set design a little or than others. And actually I thought the father was probably one of the closest to using it to uh, have an effect on the movie. I found it to be one of the more disruptive films of the year. And part of that had to do with even its limited amount of space, but what they did to design the set around even the space that was familiar because he was trapped within that apartment other than maybe the first few minutes where uh, Olivia Coleman's character is walking into the apartment. But In that apartment space, we only had certain rooms, but they kept changing and they would evolve and they'd present different clues as to what was going on in the movie that I felt that it was a character in what was going on. The only other film that I could easily say that it was a character out of these nominees for what I was watching this year was Mank. And I thought a lot of the atmosphere of what was going on in the movie was affected by the setting and the staging and things that were going on. And frankly, I think Mank will be the one that wins. So I'll call that one right now. But I very, I, it was very hard for me to flip between Mank and The Father as far as what I thought used its set production to enhance the movie the best. So I actually went with a tie between the two. I would not be upset if Mank won, but I think maybe if I gave an edge or if I had to pick one, I might pick The Father. So who did you, or who do you think should win? Uh, Mank. Is that who you think
1: will win? Yes, simply because there was a lot more, a lot more opportunity to make an impact. I mean, they had outdoor scenes, they had, Scenes from within the house he was in. There's just more to work with. And I thought it did a better job of tying the visual with the storyline. Okay. So then let's move to best sound.
0: The nominees are Sound of Metal, Greyhound, News
1: of the World, Soul, and Mank. Did you have picks for this one? The only thing I can say is is that the sound aspect for The Sound of Metal was phenomenal because they managed to convey exactly what uh, the character was going through at the moment in time. And so I thought that was very unique. I did not see most of the other films, so I really di- have, find it difficult to say anything, but I do think The Sound of Metal had a very original concept of how how they did the sound effects.
0: So this is the only category that I have a, a pick of should win and will win, where I didn't at least see four of the nominees. I did not see Greyhound yet, and I have not seen News of the World, which I just said for production design. But I did get in Soul, and obviously Mank and Sound of Metal. And I said when I finished Sound of Metal, it was the most unique version of sound mixing, editing, and effects that I I think I've seen in a movie in a long time. There are some that really enhance a movie and give some character to it. There are not many where the sound is its own distinct character within the movie. And this is one of the few where I think not only with what they did, But what they challenged themselves to do, because a lot of the movie is told through the sound quality and the effect of how they did it and the authenticity behind it, that that is more impactful on how you view the movie by the end of it than any other movie I saw this year. So not only is that my pick for will win. It's been the favorite pretty much this whole time, but it's also my pick for should win because I think this is about as slam dunk a category as I can remember.
1: It, it, the sound actually conveys the feelings that are expressed or, or held by the, the, the characters. And the most interesting thing is the sound effect that ends the film is the one that's the most impactful, which is total silence evidencing that he's now reached peace with himself in his hearing loss.
0: Absolutely. 100% agree. So let's move to best score then. I think this is another one where you're going to have some trouble because I don't think you've seen a majority of the nominees, but Mank soul defy bloods news of the world and sound of metal. Did you have picks for this?
1: Uh, too hard for me to do because I just haven't seen enough of the
0: films. That's fine. So I think the two favorites coming in are probably soul and Mank, which oddly enough, only have one person that's different between the two of them. Atticus, uh, I think it's Roe, and Trent Reznor did the scores for both of those, but then there was an additive with Jean Baptiste, who is also the band leader for the late show with Stephen Colbert, uh, did, Part of the background music or some of the jazz stylings for soul. So I think most people think soul is probably going to win. It's my pick for will win. I also think it should win. I think it was the one that used the score best to really enhance. Again, I look at these things and who is using this particular thing, not only in excellence of their craft, but use it to enhance the movie, enhance the story, and push the ball forward as to how the movie goes. It's not just simply an additive, because I think there are some excellent scores. I I think Mank and Defy Bloods was actually brilliant scores to enhance the movie. I don't see either of them that necessarily added an effect or a tone, and I very much look for that in a best score. So for me, this year it was Soul. Uh, Let's move to Best Editing then. Now, this one is a very unusual category because in the last few years we've had uh, some winners that realistically we've been uh, traveling towards these um, one-shot type movies where it looks and is edited together as if we have the camera running continually. We got that last year with 1917 This year, we didn't quite have that. We have some very different editing effects. And so uh, some of these films are much different than others. But we have The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. So, Dad, did you have picks for best editing?
1: Uh, Yes, I do. I have uh, Will Win the Father and Should Win the Father. It is so seamless in how they convey this. You go from scene to scene and you never have a break where you just seem to have difficulty picking up who's who and where is where and there's nothing that evidences that there's any real change. So the the editing in there is so clean and so crisp. I thought that that really was one of the best aspects of the film. I
0: wholeheartedly agree, which is exactly why I picked it for my should win. All I'll say though is it sounds like uh, by at least some of the guild winners and how this thing played out in some of the previous uh, stuff leading up to the Oscars, that the favorite right now is the one I will say will win, which oddly enough is Sound of Metal, which I didn't think was... Uh, a particularly gifted editing piece. If you ask me, I think the father, Nomad Land and Promising Young Woman are all better editing jobs this year than Sound of Metal. But that's the one I think will win on Sunday night. All right. But I agree with your opinion on the father almost to a T. The way it was constructed, the way that they edited it, um, made it feel that much more suffocating and added characteristic to how you had to watch the film because you were almost delirious by the time you were done It, it was the most obnoxiously uncomfortable film at times of of this year or frankly probably the last five years that I can remember as to how you had to watch it and so from that standpoint I thought they did an extraordinary job all right let's go to best cinematography then the nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Do you have a pick for this?
1: Yes. Should win and will win are, again, the same. I think it's Nomadland. The tracking shots, the visualization over uh, barren plains to evidence the characters what they're going through their feelings of isolation their feelings of loneliness and then coming together to build community in these pods units out in the middle of nowhere just is really a beautiful element of cinematography
0: so i have that as my will win and frankly i I don't disagree in any way with what you just said. My only reason that I have Mank as should winning is just a pure appreciation on the technical difficulty of what they accomplished in that movie. If you're familiar with as many TCM movies as you and I are, you know exactly how they look, feel, and act, and the way this was shot whether black and white or color or anything else, had such a feeling to it that felt like it was an appreciation not only of old movies, but of cleaning up in like a mastered edition of a classic movie. And I just simply was astounded at how well put together that entire uh, visual was. So that would be my should win, but I'm not going to be upset if Nomadland wins. I perfectly understand and appreciate that movie for its own features. We are going to head into some of the biggest categories of Sunday Night, and the Academy does a good job of staggering these. So let's start with Best Animated Feature. I don't know if you have any picks for this one, but I did at least get to four of the five nominees. I was not able to get to the last one on my list. But, Soul, Over the Moon, A Shaun of the Sheep Movie, or excuse me, A Shaun the Sheep Movie, Farmageddon, Walkers, and Onward. Now, Onward has kind of a weird significance for me. It is the second to last movie I saw in theaters. It is the last movie I saw in theaters before the pandemic. Um, I think I saw it about a week before we went into complete lockdown. So it's kind of a a weird signifier by that stretch for me. But Soul and Onward, I believe, are both Pixar movies. Uh, They're at least both Disney movies. Over the Moon and a Shaun of the... Or excuse me. A Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, are both over on Netflix. Wolf Walkers is on Apple TV+. Uh, I was able to get to everything but Wolfwalkers on this one, and while I can appreciate a lot of the animation, I definitely understand why the Animators Guild nominated these five movies. Realistically, there's only one that sticks out to me um, as far as the quality of the movie. All of these are exceptional for their use of animation and how well the graphics and design and capability has gotten. Uh, Frankly, Over the Moon is just as quality as most of the Pixar computer graphic uh, animation. Uh, Shaun the Sheep and Farmageddon is probably some of the most enhanced claymation I've ever seen. Um, It's a little bit herky-jerky if you're not used to that type of thing, but that's somewhat to be expected regardless. And Onward is also a great computer graphic-generated one. But to me, Over the Moon and Onward were B-stories as to being on adult-level themes. They were dealing with loss, they were dealing with grief, but they read like really good children's books. Soul, to me, was an animated movie, but about adult themes that used some children's metaphors to be able to talk about some of that stuff. But I think this was almost a more intended target at people in their 20s, people in their teens than it was for very young kids. I don't see this being a favorite in the same way that Moana or even something like Frozen, which was much more musically inclined, are to little kids. I see this being for a lot of people in my age group, the 20s and 30s, who honestly, this was a huge conversation among those people for a while that they not only watched an animated film, but it appealed to them. Because I think this does represent a nice moment for recognizing a movie that tells you a little bit more about what the human experience is like and gives us something to collectively appreciate in that realm. So my pick to win, uh, I think it's been the favorite throughout, is Soul. I think it should also win. All right, so then let's go to Best Original Screenplay. The nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, The Trial of the Chicago 7, Sound of Metal, Promising Young Woman, and Minari. So do you
1: have picks for this one? Yes, I do. Should win, uh, Sound of Metal. And likely to win, uh, I have a feeling this is going to be a consolation prize to Minari. Yeah, often the... uh, Screenplay awards
0: are usually designated anymore to those that are not going to win Best Director or Best Picture, especially if the writer is the same, because we often get writer-director combos anymore. But I don't know. Um, I know the favorite right now uh, for original on this one is probably The Trial of the Chicago 7, because, I mean, yeah, okay, we got another Aaron Sorkin script fine, but this isn't anywhere close to one of his best movies. So I I personally didn't think that it should win. One of the ones that's been rising a bit up through the ranks uh, as we got closer, but I didn't look at the Writers Guild right before this, is Promising Young Woman. And to be honest, I think it's one of the best uses of scripting that I can remember without having really great dialogue per se. I think the way they set the characters, the way they plotted out the movie, the way they uh, set up most of the action and the surprises, while somewhat expected, were still somewhat surprising at the same time.
1: So personally, I would pull for that one to win. I don't have a problem with that because the storyline for that film was excellent. And in retrospect, after I watched it and the initial shock of all the twists and turns left i started thinking about it and thinking about it from the point of view of of where things were which is spoiler alert i guess but um the character tries at some point to have a normal life but it's not just the immediate victim but it's the victimization of those around the person as well and she her life was destroyed And she had no choice. She could never have a normal life after that. Uh, She just had to fulfill the purpose she had set about to achieve. So just
0: to recap, because um, I apparently missed it, but what did you
1: have will win? Um, I had Minari. And that was your should as well? Should was Sound of Metal. Oh, interesting. Okay. The entire, to me, the sound of metal. The entire concept of of putting people who are fairly average. I know that they're heavy metal artists and such, but to put them in the scenario so that you experience uh, a, a disability in this case, deafness, um, and the way they did it was just really. It presented it without being preachy. It presented it in a very positive light. It wasn't like, oh, feel sorry for me. And to that extent, I thought that that's why I loved the screenplay itself.
0: All excellent points. All right, let's move to best adapted screenplay. Just as an outside overview on this, uh, so the nominees are Borat, subsequent movie film, The Father, No Madland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. I have not seen The White Tiger, but I really have a fundamental misunderstanding as to how Borat's subsequent movie film, is an adapted
1: screenplay. Um, probably because what are there one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight writers listed? Well, uh,
0: it has a lot of writers, but adapted. Not not screenplay. I, I think that this is a heavily scripted movie, even by what interviews Sasha Baron Cohen has said about the movie afterwards. I just have a hard time with the word adapted. What exactly is adapted about this movie, unless you're just basically saying that it's a sequel? Normally, when I think adapted, it's coming from either something that you're, uh, so, for example, a play like The Father or One Night in Miami are, or a book like The White Tiger or Land are, and even with the exception sometimes where, like, Whiplash was nominated in Best Adapted Screenplay because it was based on the short film that it had already done, so basically you're just expanding the script. I don't know in what way that this is best adapted, but the Oscars are screwy sometimes, and we're gonna to get to another one where I have an unusual qualm with what they did. But alright, we'll win. <laughs> I think this is the one where we start to know whether it's going to be a snowball effect for Nomad Land as everybody expects. I think Nomad Land is not only the favorite, but will win on Sunday night. But I think should win. I think some of the scripting for the father was excellent. I just like the interplay. Again, I think for the staging, maybe that's direction, maybe that's production. But I, I just, the way that all of the characters move and they come in and out and they're able to create the exact uh, environment and tone was excellent. And again, maybe this is a matter of the, the director not being up for best director, but I feel that uh, it was the best use of what they had from a subject material and the best uh, version of an adapted
1: uh, material to the screen. Uh, I had should win and will win both Nomadland for many of the same reasons you said. The father was a close second to me as well. I thought that the film really did provide a very clear, clean, cogent storyline from a play uh, that made it not just, you know, they stick a camera in the middle of a theater and just film what was presented. Um, They went beyond that. So to that extent, the adaptation was well done. But I just think Nomadland is going to be, Given more credit, if there's a mantra, and I I, I know when, when Borat was nominated for various categories, everybody's like, what? Borat? And I happened to read a column, and I believe it was A.O. or in the uh, Sunday New York Times, and I believe it was A.O. Smith Scott. who commented, what huh? or excuse me, A.O. Scott, excuse me, A.O. Scott, that what movie better epitomizes the whole COVID year that we've experienced. Well, the only other one is Nomadland, because Nomadland is like the uh, mantra of the COVID-19. We've all had our own Nomadland for the last year, Um, whether it's been by choice, by necessity, or by uh, just... uh, events and so i think that's why that's going to carry the day uh in this category if
0: it doesn't go toward nomadland i think this is the one where we start to reanalyze whether it's the favorite going for best picture because i think there are at least three telling awards as to whether it ends up being the favorite for best picture that we think it's going to be it's this it's uh, cinematography, it's director. If it doesn't get one of those three, it opens up the rest of the race. And that, even that being said, because Best Picture relies on that ranked choice voting system, I still don't know whether it's going to be end up prevailing because it's um, not necessarily the most widely popular movie. But we've had some surprises, particularly in Best Picture, because it's a different voting system for that one award. So we'll see. It remains an enigma, if you will. So let's go to Best Supporting Actress, then. The nominees are Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Colman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank. And Yu Yoo Jung Yoon for Minari will win. I have Yu Yoo Jung Yoon. She seems to be as much of a slam dunk for this pick of will win as you could probably have right now. I, I think she's basically swept all the pre awards or the the lead in awards. But to me, uh, I've seen. Every one of these films, I think the one who had the most difficult job and thus why I appreciated it as much as I did. And this is nothing against Amanda Seafried, who I thought was excellent. I thought Yoo Jung Yoon was probably the best person in Minari, or at least the character I appreciated the most. And Olivia Coleman is just great in whatever she does at this point. I'll even give that Glenn Close was the best Part of a terrible hillbilly elegy, but Maria Bakalova, like the amount of stuff she had to do to do that film is extraordinary. Just listening to Sasha Baron Cohen go on about how they had to pick the person who would end up acting in the movie is extraordinary. The amount of crass behavior that she had to put up with and do it on a comedic take, but then be able to put up with some of the things... Like, him just as a comedic actor and being able to imbue these roles for hours on end, it's not like you're doing one take or two takes. No, you're living these characters. It is the most method acting I think I have ever seen, and it takes it beyond a level that even Daniel Day-Lewis would be shuddering how much (laughs) they have to do in order to carry these roles. So, I personally, I... I'm glad she got nominated because there was a question whether she would be. But to me, it, I thought she did the best because she had the most difficult job out of any of these.
1: I completely agree with both assessments. Um, I, I thought she was just phenomenal. The the She really made uh, the movie because she was tough and yet vulnerable. She was, um, sympathetic, but um, not sympathetic at times. Um, she had a broad range of of uh, styles that had to be conveyed at any moment, and you could just tell this was not an easy part. And for a young actress who had, I think, has done one other film, if I remember right, this, this was just phenomenal. She should she should be given. Uh, a special Oscar just for having to put up with Rudy Giuliani, but um, <laughs> that's neither said here nor there. Yeah, I don't think he'll be in uh the crowd that evening. But what are your picks then? Well, I you know, I, I again, I think it's young Jun and uh is going to get it, but I think uh I, I would have given it to Maria Bakalova,
0: okay. So then let's move to Best Supporting Actor. The nominees are Sasha Baron Cohen for Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield in the same category for Judas and the Black Messiah, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal, and Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami.
1: What are your picks, sir? I had uh, who is likely to win it is Leslie Odom and actually the actor that I would have picked was Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7. I knew who it was, but I actually, while watching the film, forgot it was him. It took me, again, about halfway through the film to remember, oh yeah, this is Sasha Baron Cohen, and um, I, his portrayal, of abby hoffman was phenomenal having grown up watching abby hoffman and knowing abby hoffman and watching interviews of abby hoffman he did such a job of becoming abby hoffman that i i lost track and i think that's ultimately the sign of really doing the part exceptionally well.
0: So I disagree on both counts. Number one, I thought Sasha Baron Cohen was forgettable in that particular movie. I thought there were much better jobs that came about and I really push back, although it's going to be kind of undermining to what I'm going to say in a moment here. So bear with me, but I don't like that a lot of the acting categories have turned into Who is the best version of, or who plays the real life character the best? I think too often we default to, oh, this person really imbued or mimicked this person really well without caricaturizing it. And none more told than the Bohemian Rhapsody award a couple of years ago. I thought that was somewhat of a travesty at the time. I still think it's kind of an upsetting pick because I didn't think the movie was very good. So the, the fact that we we gave out awards to it is just still upsetting to me. But I thought he if he was going to be nominated, it should have been for Borat, not Trial of the Chicago 7. Will win, for me, is the same as should win, because this has been the favorite basically since that movie was uh, recognized as eligible for the Oscars. It's Daniel Kaluuya. He almost goes on such a level where he is inside of the character. And I know he's playing the real life version of Fred Hampton, but there's a certain quality to it that's not mimicry. It's that he's matching the energy and the ability of the personality. Like there, there's somehow he got into like the soul of Fred Hampton and brought it out. And I don't know how he did it. In fact, there are certain moments, particularly that uh, I am a revolutionary scene, where he's almost freaking showing off. Like, that's how well he did the character by that point. That he had it so down, and he's just more or less doing a victory lap that, uh, yeah, I, I I nailed this one. That's nothing to say. I thought Paul Racy might be one of the closest versions of born to play a role that I saw this year because of his experiences growing up in a deaf household. uh, That he was able to just naturally fit in with what the part called for and make it seem authentic. Uh, I thought Leslie Oldham Jr. was good, but frankly, I thought a couple of the other acting jobs were better in that movie, just personally nothing against him. I, I think he's an extraordinary actor who's going to do uh, a lot of great things coming up. I didn't really have a problem with Sasha Baron Cohen, but as I said, I think there were better people in that movie. The one that I had the most trouble with, and I honestly thought he would not even be nominated was Lakeith Stanfield. As much as I like Lakeith Stanfield, I just don't think that character was very good and that it was represented well enough in what the film should be. So Again, just personal opinion. but So for me, that was Kaluuya both winning and should win. All right. Best Actress. The nominees are Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andre Day for The United States vs. Billy Holiday, Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. What are your picks, sir?
1: All right. Well, uh, and I will be. Uh, I will admit the one film that I really wanted to see and have not gotten to is United States versus Billy Holiday. So um, I know Andrea Day won the Golden Globe. Um. So I I really can't say a whole lot about her character or her performance. Viola Davis did a strong performance. But I think Viola Davis has done other performances that have been better and had more impact. Other than just playing somebody who was angry um, throughout most of the film, I don't think Viola Davis was stretched very much in that role. Uh, Vanessa Kirby, wow. Wow. You know, other than the fact that she uh, played uh, Princess Margaret in The Crown for the first two years, I have not been familiar with her as an actress. I anticipate that she's going to be doing some really great things in the next few years because of that. She's still a young woman, just phenomenal range uh, and such. So she did a very good job. Uh, Frances McDormand, again... um, (laughs) She's she's becoming a classic as far as just anything she's in is worth seeing. But ultimately, having watched the film and watched the performance and watched the range of mood and watch how much she was the center of the movie, um, I have it going to who's likely to win and who should win Carrie Mulligan, hands down for me. All right. So this
0: is the category that has swung the most often over the course of this whole year, other than best picture for me. When we were looking at this upcoming and what the favorites might be for best actress coming in, a lot of people were highlighting Frances McDormand for Nomadland, those who had seen it in the festivals and and that sort of thing. So you assumed kind of coming in that she'd be a strong top one. And frankly, Frances McDormand is great in everything she does, but I thought she's had better roles and done better jobs in in different things. I think at this point, she kind of sinks a little bit more into the background against some of the other performances that we saw. Viola Davis to me was a leader in the clubhouse after I saw Ma Rainey's because Viola Davis might honestly be the best actress we have living. And I say that knowing full well that Meryl Streep is still alive. Like, I, I don't know what there is that Viola Davis can't do at this point. Uh, she is absolutely extraordinary. I think this role was extraordinary. In fact, I think she will probably be the winner given how the awards broke down um, from SAG and and some of the other ones coming into this. But Andra Day kind of shook up the race when she won the Golden Globe. So I got to give her a little bit of daylight when it comes to potentially winning this award. So I thought she did a good job. She was really the only good part of Billie Holiday versus or the United States versus Billie Holiday. It's a movie that doesn't really work on a lot of levels. It's disjointed. The scripting is bad, but she plays it at such a vulnerable level that you have to give her credit for really how far she was willing to take that role and embody the character. Uh, But uh, another one I'd like to mention is Vanessa Kirby. Yes, I saw her on The Crown the first two seasons, and I'm trying to think. There was something else big that I saw her. Oh, she was in the last Mission Impossible movie. She's got a charismatic vulnerability to her. I don't know what it is, but she's able to play grief stricken women that are able to draw you in incredibly well. And in many ways, I think this is somewhat of a coming out for, party for her. Even though I was not able to finish pieces of a woman, she's still extraordinary. I just don't think if I were to pick any of these as to predicting this, she'd probably be in last place. She's been the person who's been writing that she'll get nominated, but I don't think anybody's thinking she'll win. So then it takes you down to, it basically becomes Viola Davis versus Carrie Mulligan. And if I hadn't watched Promising Young Woman, I would have been very happy and comfortable with Viola Davis winning. But Carrie Mulligan, holy shit. I mean, <laughs> holy it, shit. To,
1: I know. It, it's a phenomenal job. I, I I just was like dumbstruck watching this film.
0: It's just devastating how up and down she has to play the character. And just as you mentioned before, where she's moving on with her life, she's opening up, she's learning to let go and accept things. And it just, there's a a scene in there. If you haven't seen it, I won't ruin it for you. I think it's much more impactful, but it just turns on a dime and your heart sinks through the floor and you're just waiting for how this is going to end. I'll save some of my comments for when we get to Best Picture here and Best Director, because I'm going to have a lot more to say on this one. But I think more than anybody else, she should win this because this is a crowning achievement. I think Gary Mulligan more than deserves it for what is probably going to be, because I can't imagine her doing anything better than she did this movie. All right, let's move to best actor. And I can't think of a category that seems like it was more decided than this for probably six months since we got the news that Chadwick Bozeman had unexpectedly passed away uh, due to cancer that really nobody but him and his inner circle knew about. It was a very surprising thing at the time. I think most people assume he will win this award. I'm picking him to win the award for best actor in this one in a posthumous fashion, but the nominees are Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Stephen Yoon for Minari, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, and Gary Oldman for Mank. I think all five of these were extraordinary this year in many different ways. But Will win. I think it's going to end up being Chadwick Boseman, again, because of the posthumous factor. I don't think that we would be so attempting to try and crown him if it hadn't been that he passed away, because I think a lot of the sentiment behind it is we thought he was going to have so many more opportunities to be nominated for stuff. And I don't even think this was his best role. I think he did a wonderful job. If we were just going on roll, I probably wouldn't. But there's a bit of remorse that he wasn't already an Academy Award winner. in, With Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins already being award winners, and Rizamed and Stephen Yoon ending up as younger budding stars. Stephen Yoon has uh, grown up with being on uh, The Walking Dead. A lot of people think this is kind of his breakout where he can do some more serious work where he's not branded quite so closely with a property like that. And Riz Ahmed, if you didn't see the night of on uh, HBO from a year, a couple of years back, the miniseries that kind of got overlooked because it was behind uh, Big Little Lies that year. It's an extraordinary series where you could see this coming a mile away if you've watched anything with him in it. But if I were to pick, I'd have a hard time not giving it to Chadwick Boseman but I really wish they could split the award between him and Riz Ahmed because I think they were both wonderful this year. I agree with most critics that say they're kind of sad, not only that Bozeman passed away, but that it might uh, take away a well-deserved Oscar from Riz Ahmed.
1: I agree completely. It's going to go to Chad Bozeman. I mean, it's just, you know, the sentiment, the feeling, the, you know. And it's going to be an emotional moment.
0: Because he's going to finish off the in-memoriam this year.
1: Well, of course he will. And um, unfortunately, there's been a lot uh, in the last year that uh, we're going to see. And uh, my guess is, because is I always try to think about or go through the list of passing stars and kind of figure out who's going to be. My guess is he will be the closing. And right before him will probably be Christopher Plummer.
0: And right before that, Sean
1: Connery. Yes. I think that yeah, it's going to be in actuality, it wouldn't surprise me if Sean Connery leads. Yeah, you may be right. Because because that would place him where he deserves. He had a wide range of characters. He's known for Bond, but he won an Academy Award um as a best supporting actress for The Untouchables. Um he he just had a phenomenal career. Um, and I hope at some point we'll get an opportunity to do uh, the one film he did with um, Hitchcock, which is Marnie, which is an excellent film and which I think is one of Connery's best films. Well, we're going to have
0: a Hitchcock month coming up here probably next fall. So be on lookout for that, it might be included.
1: Yeah. Anyway, um, but yes, I, I think uh, Rizamid did such a phenomenal job. I just don't think he's likely to win. But in this day and age with so many actors and so many projects and so many things, just having on your resume an Academy Award nominee is by itself a pretty good thing to have.
0: Absolutely. And I I don't think this will be his last time. I just... I hate sometimes that we don't reward people when they should be rewarded. And this isn't a makeup year or some unexcusable thing like uh, (laughs) Renee Zellweger winning for Judy. (laughs) Uh, It's much different and I understand it. I think he understands it too, but it's one of these where I very rarely will go for a tie. This is one of the times that I I feel it's almost criminal not to. So lastly, before we get to best picture, best director, I think that this is probably one of the biggest categories at this point, because this has become such a director medium, even in a day where we've, had more commercial and franchise properties than ever, making up probably 80% of the dollars spent in Hollywood at this point. There are so many gifted young directors that are making names for themselves. And we have such a class here. David Fincher and Thomas Vinterberg are great movie makers in their own right who had exceptional movies this year, But they're the tried and true. The three that are newcomers, that are diversity, that are recognition that we can make a lot of really good movies from other people that have a lot of stories to tell, Chloe Zhao, Lee Isaac Chung, and Emerald Fennell. So Nomadland, Minari, and Promising Young Woman, respectively. I think all three films are extraordinary, but... Uh, Chloe Zhao has been on basically a victory lap tour for the better part of six months. I think it is almost assured that she's going to win on Sunday night. And I thought for sure that that would be my pick for should win. And then I saw Promising Young Woman. I told you the other night when I finished it, it is the closest thing I've seen to a Hitchcock movie since Hitchcock stopped making movies. It is ruthless, it is thrilling, it's up and down, and it uses such great uh, camera work, but the scores are soaring and give you such a presence, and the, the only thing I could make it comparable to without necessarily being as, I guess, uh, Twilight Zone-y if that's a a characteristic I can put on it, is Get Out. I think these are very much of the same class. It's a horror thriller that isn't exactly horrific. It's grounded in a certain realism, but the character and its journey goes to an inevitable end that is so Hitchcockian, especially late stage, like 60s Hitchcock, that I, I just sat back in awe and I'm just like, holy shit. And I know that's the second time I've said this now, but I have such an awe for that movie after I finished it.
1: Um, I also have the same exact picks. I think uh, Chloe Zhao will win it, Um, but I think Emerald uh, Fennell did the best job of directing. I, I thought that the pacing the ability to evoke emotions throughout the film of different qualities. Um, You know, the fact that how she managed to almost be the beginning of the film, the character or Carrie Mulligan's character, you're almost revulsed by her. You know, like, what the hell is she doing? Or what the hell is this about? Or what's, you know... And then as it starts to, to unfold as to what happened and why and all of this, you start to develop an empathy towards her. And then you want to see her succeed and overcome this tragedy and such. And you know it, but yet you can just feel that it's not going to ultimately prevail. You just know. I, I, I remember turning to your mother and going, I will guarantee this is what's going to end up happening. And she's like, oh, no, that wouldn't be the case. And I'm like, well, I think that's what's going to happen. And sure enough, that's what happened. It was one of the most surprising twists,
0: but the way it was presented, it just dropped on you like a literal palette from the sky. I I, I don't know how to describe it. And just the feeling and the shock. And she lets you sit in that moment and just feel for it for a minute. That is a tour, almost mastery filmmaking. And for somebody that's so young in this being, I, I think it's her first yep. movie. To be fair, you're going to be sitting on Sunday night and you're going to be like, I recognize her from something and I can't think of what it is. She was Camilla on the crown. Oh, that's Emerald fennel. Okay. But I, I, I just, I don't know how how somebody was able to capture so many characteristics of the Hitchcock style without feeling fake. Because so many people have tried to capture that essence and done it poorly. This does it, and I don't think she was necessarily even going for that. And I just have so much respect for this. At this point, there are very few times that I literally sit up and I'm like, I'm down to watch whatever you make. I said it the last two times I had seen um Greta Gerwig. The first time I, or when I saw both of Greta Gerwig's movies, I'm like, I'm I'm in. Whatever you want to make, just take take all of my money. I, I'm fine to sit and watch whatever you want to put on. That was what this was for me. As much as I appreciated Nomad Land for the technical difference and the emotions to me, this was a tour de force that was like no other movie. And while I think Chloe Zhao is going to win, uh, to me, I, I the best directing job by far was Emerald Fennel.
1: And uh, the only thing I can say is, and I and I I'm, I'm not trying to be, I don't know, funny or snide about this. Ultimately the the success of promising young woman is going to be how well Hollywood has come to terms with the Me Too movement and Harvey Fire or Harvey Weinstein and Yeah. yeah I know, careful, careful Harvey there. Weinstein and and that whole genre. And I mean, this is something that Hollywood has had to endure. For 90 years, because, you know, I, I love reading some of the stories about, uh, you know, old Hollywood and some of the murders and, and what took place and how things were going on, uh, you know, ultimately with the fart or Fatty Arbuckle trial in the 1920s and on and on and on. Ultimately, Hollywood has to come determines how much they're going to come to terms with what has been going on with the "quote unquote" casting couch that has existed for years. If that movement or that feeling persists, "promising young woman" is really the the uh, the the theme song of we're not going to put up with this anymore.
0: I wholeheartedly agree that there are three big things that are going to be thematic of the evening of social events that are going on in the country at large that we're definitely going to see in who wins and who's been nominated already. Black Lives Matter, Me Too, and COVID. Yeah. All right. We'll jump right into Best Picture, but we're going to do something a little different than we have in the other categories. We are going to go from 8 to 1 on what we think the Best Picture nominees are. So, with that, the nominees are Nomadland, Minari, The Father, Promising Young Woman, *Mank*, The Trial of the Chicago 7, Sound of Metal, and Judas
1: and the Black Messiah. You want to go first? My number eight is The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, While the story was good and it was well-written and Aaron Sorkin did a very good job with the screenplay and an adequate job with directing, I thought some of the performances um, in it were not the greatest um, in comparison to the other seven films. I thought it was the weakest overall I thought this was
0: the most Oscar-baity one. It is also number eight on my list. While I thought it worked well from a story and a dialogue standpoint, I didn't think the direction was particularly good, which was why I was confused that Aaron Sorkin kept getting nominated for Best Director for things. It was a good script for the dialogue and a lot of what the characters say because, I mean, that's what we expect out of Aaron Sorkin at this point. But... The some of the acting jobs were a little off. I thought Eddie Redmayne was abhorrent. I, I, (laughs) yeah, I I, I don't know where he was. It it would sometimes somebody's in a completely different movie. It was him in, in this movie, he was the one completely sore thumb, and yet, probably, if that role goes a little bit better, this movie is so 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 much better. Uh, This had been the favorite for a while, oddly enough, going in and still has an outside shot because it's probably the most broadly appealable film. But I think this would if this ends up winning would be worse than if uh, Green Book won a couple of years ago. So I, I this is my number eight. So I'll move to my number seven. Then Judas and the Black Messiah. While I appreciate my horizons being expanded particularly given that Trial of the Chicago 7 kind of introduced me generally to the character of Fred Hampton. It didn't give me a lot of insight into Heath Stanfield's character. It didn't represent exactly what the movie was about. To a certain extent, I'm n- not sure to this point, other than if I gave a basic plot summary, what this movie exactly was supposed to be about or accomplish. Am I supposed to know more about Uh, that particular character? Am I supposed to know about uh, Fred Hampton? Is this supposed to be informative? Am I supposed to feel something? So there were a lot of things about the movie that didn't work for me. More than anything else, I thought it was a good exposition of diversity filmmaking and of Daniel Kaluuya's acting chops.
1: But I think it stops at that. I have 7 and 7A. Seven A obviously being the second one. So I'm gonna give seven A as being the same, Judas and the Black Messiah. For a lot of the same reasons you indicated. I, I it 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 didn't the characters didn't evolve. I didn't have I mean I'm a middle-aged white guy who who knows nothing about the Black Panthers other than what he's read and maybe a few documentaries or films here and there. So um, I have a hard time, and I thought maybe that was part of my inability to relate to the film, but I I just didn't connect to it the way I I do with a lot of films that are Best Picture nominees And uh, for that reason. So that being the case, then I'm going to go to my uh, 7A as opposed to 7B or however you want to And that's Mank. This is a film that I was so looking forward to and was fairly well disappointed in. I I just didn't think that it really came across as well as it could, should, or would have been. I I didn't think Gary Oldman's performance was that great. It was good, but... um, I, I, he's done better. I guess I had maybe part of my reaction to the film is, is that I had such high expectations because Citizen Kane is one of my favorite films and what I rank either one or two of the best films ever made at this point in time as we're going through this process. And I really wanted this film to be great, just absolutely stellar. And maybe part of my reaction is is that it just was, you know, good. But not anything, you know. I mean, my telltale is is if after I've watched a film, if parts of it completely fade from my memory. And I find a lot of this film has faded from my memory as time has gone by since I've seen it. And so that's where I am with Seven.
0: So I'm very confused as to how your rankings have gone so far.
1: Eight, seven, so I guess it'd be six.
0: So then you have only
1: nominated two films for three spots. No, I did The Trial of Chicago 7. Then I did Judas and the Black Messiah. And then six is Mank. All right, so six is Mank. All right,
0: thank you for clearing that up. I also have Mank at number six. It's for two reasons. One, I agree that the story doesn't give me anything higher. It doesn't make me necessarily think about myself. I enjoyed the story. Uh, I enjoyed the filmmaking. I think it's a technical marvel. I appreciate how well crafted that David Fincher did to pull this off, especially because this movie has been apparently 20-some years in the making. If I had a long lost script from my dad that I felt a personal obligation to at some point make, and I was David Fincher where uh, studios would throw money at me to make anything I wanted, of course I would go on a passion project like this. But it seems like somewhat of a passion project about something that most people don't care about and doesn't really represent what's going on in the world right now, where I think a lot of these movies are byproducts of what we're going through, whether it's diversity to Me Too, to Black Lives Matter, to social protest, to social justice, any of the categories that you want to put on COVID, the haves and the have-nots, any of these themes is somehow seen within most of these movies. This is the weird outlier. So I do appreciate it from that front. But I think... If I haven't said it before, I'll say it now. And this will probably undercut if we or when we eventually get to Citizen Kane. We will have to cover it, unfortunately for me. I don't (laughs) much care for that movie. Okay. And the thing that upset me the most about Mank is that it presented in many ways a story that's much better than Citizen Kane. Go back and watch that dinner scene. I'd much rather see the movie that he's describing drunkenly than the actual fucking Citizen Kane.
1: (laughs) So it just disappoints me on that level. (laughs) Uh, uh, I don't understand you at all. All right.
0: Number five, I have Minari. I like the film. I don't love the film. I think it's nice, but I think it's bland. I appreciate what is going on and I can see the struggle and I can recognize it, but there are other things that just simply appeal to me more. Maybe it's the time that I watched it. Uh, Maybe it's the headspace I was in. I know there are some people that love this movie a lot more than I do. I just... It it, To me, it was middle of the road, and so number five is about right. I just love some of the other movies more for the craftsmanship and what they represented. I agree, and that's my
1: number five. People are going to start thinking we did this together. Yeah, we haven't talked about it at all. You know, this is set in a time where I became an adult. It's, you know, the mid-80s. You know, I'm in college. I'm getting ready for law school. You know, I'm thinking about where I'm going to be as an adult. So I'm familiar with what was going on. I'm familiar with America at the time. You know, it's a great story, and it's really a story of pioneers. It just happens to be uh, a Korean family set in the 1980s as opposed to a German family in the 1870s or a Polish family in the 1920s. or it, It's a very good story. To some extent, the experience of being in America and whatever reminds me of a film that was very underappreciated a few years ago that I really loved, which was Brooklyn was nominated for an Academy Award about uh, an Irish girl who uh, migrates to the United States and how she struggles to develop her identity and and uh, and and advance in the United States know and, uh, and to some extent that's it, it's that sentiment uh, that really endears the movie to me but there's just so much more here in this category that uh, could be, should be in is said. I've said for a couple of weeks that this is the dark horse because
0: it's the movie that is the easiest to like. It's the nice movie where I don't think there's going to be too much criticism if it wins. And with the ranked choice voting, I think there's a good shot that this somehow ends up winning best picture it's not my will win, and it's not my should win, but don't be shocked if this one comes out with the award, even though we both put it at
1: number five. Do you want to give your number four? My number four is The uh, the Father. Excellent film. It's a film that I would love to watch again because I missed so much trying to just... I, I understand that the way the film was done was to convey the same feelings of that you were not clear as to what was real and what wasn't. And they wanted to place the viewers in a situation of similar ilk. But I, I would love to watch it again, just having or having some knowledge just for the filmmaking aspect of it. But um that's where I am with the fourth. I, I, I there, uh, it, it, it's a great film and in any other year it probably would be higher in my category I went with my number four at
0: Sound of Metal I enjoyed this film I thought it was well crafted I thought it was well done uh, I repeat many of your comments about it not being preachy or overly sentimental or um, victimizing I think it did a good job of not overbaiting or Oscar baiting disability, which is hard to do with the amount of scrutiny that's on films, especially when we delay the Oscars by two months and we have a longer award season to pick through everything. But I think this is a well crafted film. I just didn't have as strong of a reaction to this film as I did the three above it. And what did you have for three? So three, I have The Father. I thought this was by far the most disorienting film of the year. It is one of two films that I can remember seeing recently that the metaphor and the device are the same thing. And it really evokes a certain feeling where they're trying to relate what it's like to be uh, in dementia without actually having it. And for the most part, they're successful because you can't tell what's going on half the time. I think there's such an experiential quality to watching this for the first time, not knowing anything going in and watching it clean. If you watch it the second time and you know how things work out, it probably will not have the same effect as watching it for the first time where you have absolutely no idea and trying to follow it and you're confused and all of the rest of that because it's intentionally trying to do as much. And so from a technical standpoint and the rest of it, it just evoked a a very strong reaction that way. And I thought it by that extension alone, promoted it ahead of some of the other ones that I thought for sure were going to be higher on the list until I had seen this
1: one. All right. I, I understand. So my number three is uh, Nomadland. I thought uh, it was a very well-done film. It's well... I mean, the cinematography was great. The story was great. I, it held me it just didn't overwhelm me. It just, it was a solid film. It just wasn't something that necessarily spoke to me uh, individually or in certain ways that I normally would love to have a film speak to me uh, when it comes to the best film of the year. I have a standard of what I think is important, In a best film, that's got to be something that's memorable, that evokes emotion, that registers with me. I've made this comment, and I'm really looking forward to being able to go back into a theater. I I don't mind the streaming, the availability, and all that's great. It's wonderful. I get to see more than I normally would. But a film or studio is a whole group of people collectively meeting so that they can individually have an experience and so this is a film that may very well have had better impact on me if I'm in that group where it's a collective all having an individual experience because you all internalize you all watch a film and try to relate it to some aspect of your life or your emotion your feeling and this may this film may very well have had a much different feel to me if it would have been in a theater as opposed to me watching it at home virtually by myself. I think maybe I had your mother and sister watching it with me in the sunroom on our TV, and um, you know maybe it would have been different, but it, it just didn't have the impact to me. All right. Do you want to give your number two then? Well, my number two is Sound of Metal. Um, I really loved this film, and I thought for sure I was going to pick this as number one until I saw number one. And I watched number one, and I couldn't believe this film. I mean, just the fact that it's not preachy. It's always a, a... heavy metal drummer, and, you know, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is going to be a whole thing that, um, you know, I'm going to be the old FUD being a 57-year-old white guy who's not going to understand this whole mentality of the screaming into the mic type of thing. But it was just so such a beautiful story of people coming to terms with the circumstances, with the the hand they're dealt and Paul Ricci, uh, Racy, or Recy, uh, what a phenomenal job he did! I mean, this is a guy that came from basically nowhere, uh, he's in his early 70s, uh, and all of a sudden now he's got a potential to have opportunities through other films. I, I would love to see him in other venues in the future but it just was such a well done movie and it's such an impact. I had such empathy. And maybe part of that is, is because, you know, and uh for those in the audience who don't know, I'm a lawyer who helps individuals with disabilities obtain social security. And I have a father-in-law who's virtually deaf and, I just had an empathy. This film spoke to me. And so that's why I went with it as the number two.
0: I can definitely see all of those. I understood and figured this would have an impact on you, on my grandmother, on my mother, in ways that other people might not appreciate when I saw it. But I also had a stronger stronger appeal to my number two which is my pick for what I think will win on Sunday night I think we've been hitting towards this in some ways even though there's a bit of backlash and there's some critic uh, scrutiny going on where I, there have been so many different think pieces I've seen on my Google news feed every morning of well nomad land is just supporting Amazon and no Okay, I, I didn't get that at all. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think that they're, in one way or another, supporting, promoting, doing anything for Amazon more than it's simply a job. She could have been working as a Walmart greeter and you probably would have said the exact same goddamn thing. But at least Amazon pays more. So let's let's get away from that. But no, my number two is Nomadland. I thought this was a very beautiful film. And over the course of what I thought the best picture race was going to be. I started out thinking, oh, I really enjoyed Trial of the Chicago 7. It had its flaws. There will probably be other uh, best picture uh, nominees that I'll like better as we go along, but at least for now, it's the leader in the clubhouse. And then I saw Mank, and I'm like, all right, that's probably the best picture I've seen so far this year, as far as a quality standpoint. And it didn't live up to every expectation I had, but I enjoyed the film. I can appreciate its technical quality, and it's probably the best picture I've seen. And then it was a while because I'd been wanting to see Land and some of these other movies. And I saw Land just after I'd seen Judas and the Black Messiah, after I'd already seen the other two I mentioned, after I saw Ma Rainey's, after I'd seen Soul and several of these others. To me, this was the one that uh, I sat with the most and just made me think and appreciate and meditate on everything that was going on because for whatever reason, I have a personal draw, even though this has no circumstance to myself where you would think that I would relate in any way to somebody who lives somewhat of a nomadic lifestyle, except that a lot of my life, in the last few years, has been led in a fairly um, solitary existence. While I do share moments with other people, I often spend most of my day in a solo office doing tasks on my computer. I sit at home in front of my TV screen, eat dinner or lunch or breakfast alone, and a lot of these other things. And for whatever reason, somebody who moves from place to place, who has been stricken or stricken down with the difficulties of life, that's experienced loss and grief, and things that are beyond their control, and that you just don't have a feeling of owning whatever is in your circumstances, I, I it just appealed to me in many different ways. So... I thought for sure this would be the best picture nominee that I thought should win. And then I saw Promising Young Woman.
1: <laughs> well, and can I just comment? Your generation has been looking for something. And I can tell that that's an aspect. That's a certain aspect of your generation. They seem to feel the isolation, the separate. Separateness that is in existence. You know, instead of having interpersonal conversations, you're on text and uh, messenger and such. And so that interpersonal connection, I can see where Nomad Land is not that far off from what you're experiencing. I'm hoping that your generation after having to have endured the COVID-19 prison will emerge on parole and will responsibly start looking at reestablishing some connections and doing things interpersonal and return to that. I know I'm hoping to. My uh, release from prison on parole is going to be May 1st after uh, two weeks from my second vaccination. But uh, I I can see that. And let's just, we both independently and without discussing this in advance, came to the same conclusion, what is the best film? Promising Young Woman. I had absolutely no thought that this this film was going to be the best nominee. I thought for sure it was Nomadland. That was what I was going to pick. I knew I had to watch it because I hadn't seen it. I thought for sure, you know, well, this is going to be, I know what it's kind of about and whatever. And, you know, eh, so I'll watch it. So I started watching it and I just couldn't stop. I just was drawn in and I'm having an emotional roller coaster on a Sunday evening when I'm supposed to be Normally relaxing and kind of, you know, trying to establish some level of, you know, so I ended up watching this on Sunday night, and I'm like, "Holy cow!" I'm I feel like I'm an absolute emotional roller coaster here, and I I I went to bed thinking, "Wow, how do I really feel about this film? Um, am I upset? Am I empathetic? Am I?" Sympathetic. I, I I just really struggled, and this you know, and ultimately I think one of the her be- best films of any year is where it takes me two or three days to really sort through my personal feelings as to what this said to me and what it says about our society.
0: I I fully agree. I mean, I've already put most of my thoughts down. This is the only one. And I, I've been a proponent for I know what the best picture is when I get done with the movie. That instant gut reaction that's like, holy shit, this thing blew me away. And this is the only movie that just completely blew me away. I I, I don't know why it had such a profound, almost shocking Even though the ending kind of ramps down a bit, it's still just something that just lingers like a shock that just tingles throughout your body because you've been through such almost a certain level of trauma that's related to what's going on on screen. You feel for it so much and there's so much of a thrilling adrenaline pump going through you. I know we didn't sit down. You and I have very similar tastes. I think we've agreed on what the best picture is probably six out of the last seven years by my count. But uh, you and I have probably the same reaction on this one. But before we finish up, you have now given your should,
1: what do you think will win? Uh, No man land. All right in the lexicon or the future, or when we look back on this nomad land conveys exactly the feeling that most of the country had during COVID. We were all adrift. We were all alone. We had fleeting moments where we had the ability to connect. Um, but it was superficial and fleeting and, That is ultimately what's going to be. I hope that the film will show that, you know, somewhere down the road, we have the ability to reconnect and to reestablish things and that we don't use this as just an opportunity to more isolate. But um, that's where I think it's going to be. Fair enough. All right. So, in the
0: episode feed, there is a tracking uh, that I have for the website with the specific page. As you're watching the Oscars on Sunday, you can track how our predictions ended up. Or if you want to do that as a Monday morning quarterback, entirely up to you. Uh, I'll be updating that as we kind of go along so that uh, you know whether we got things right, whether we got things wrong. And regardless of that, you still know where we stand on what we think should win. And that's really the important part, what we think.
1: <laughs> Ultimately, there are so many great films and so many great experiences. I would actively encourage people to go out and watch these films and to find them. You know, we had to pay a little bit for some of these because, you know, I, I know that one of the films that I want to say was uh, Minari, we ended up paying 20 bucks to see because, you know, the rental. But when you stop and think about how many people were sitting in our in my house watching the film, there were four of us. That's five bucks a person for that. So it's the equivalent of going out to a film or going out to the movie theater on a given night. Watch them. I know
0: we appreciate going through this every year and watching these together because we're experiencing some new films. With This entire show is about giving people a new appreciation for a movie. So thanks for sticking it out with us. We will be back with our regular episodes uh, for next week and uh, looking forward to bringing Pretty Woman to you uh, since we released Dodgeball yesterday. Thank you to everyone. Have a good evening. show is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our show is mixed, edited, and produced by Thomas Duncan. music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.